0: I'm going to say something really crazy to you. I've been teaching for 38 hours over the last three weeks. You would think that I would come home with a sermon. I prayed all the way home on that airplane, two airplanes, three airplanes. And... uh and I struggled. I really did. It's the craziest thing in the world. I've been preaching the whole Bible you know, for, for three weeks now. All the New Testament, at least the Gospels. <laughs> okay. and, uh, <clears throat> and I really did struggle. But it didn't scare me because I'm, I got used to it while I was there. <laughs> I walked into one service and I preached the night before somewhere that I'll tell you about at the end of my service. And the next morning, I get up, and I say, Lord, i got a, a church to walk into midday. Lord, what do you want me to speak here today? And boy, nothing, just nothing, you know, uh, came. And I said, well, Lord, I'm going to prepare what I did last night. I'm going to go over it again, fine-tune it, get ready. If you have something else in mind, I would appreciate you telling me. And so I'm working on this. And I get to the church, and the music is going. They're worshiping. And I step up into the church building, into our, their room like this one. And the, uh, I notice all of a sudden it's midday. The place is packed, and it's all women. And it hit me. This is their intercessory prayer. Husbands are off at work. They're here praying up the storm. It was. I mean, you should go just to walk into a room like that. I mean, the power of God was so strong. And I stood there, and have you ever had that sinking feeling like you studied for the wrong test? Okay. And it just hit me all the way through. There's no way. That what I what I prepared for the night before was really for beginning disciples. And so it hit me, man, this is the wrong message. And I said, Lord, you could have told me this a couple of hours ago. That would have really been nice, you know. So, so I go over and I just lift my hands and worship with them. And I said, it's a good time right now, Lord. Just tell me what you're... And I'm telling you, the Bible story, the outline, the whole thing just landed. And I stood up. And my translator, who is the director of the center where I'm staying, HBI. And this is in a, this is a different location. Now, this is an eight-hour train ride into a place where last year was the first time they'd ever seen a white person, and it was me, okay, last year. So I'm in that area, and uh, he translated for me the night before. I told him I was doing the same message. I got up and just went to town, and he looked at me just shocked. That is not the message, you know, that, we, that you preached last night. So um, that's a little bit of what's happening this morning. I now know what I'm preaching because I've been through the first service, okay? So here we go. Acts chapter 12. I didn't tell them that, by the way. Acts chapter 12. Um, I'm going to ask a question that we ask every time I come back from a place like this. I go through something similar. I, I mean... I don't know what's happening. I really, it takes me days, even weeks to unpack in my heart what God's doing in me. For me to be able to translate that and actually share with you what I feel like I want to share is difficult. So I know though, every time I come back, there's this question. Here's the question. What is it that we have missed? What what is it that we've not discovered? Because I I go to this, this place that's impoverished, where there are all kinds of problems. Kids are having to go with their parents to work, and they never get educated. Um, You know, and and then I see these powerful church planters, and and you hear of the miracles, and you see these these, um, just very simple people simply believing what the Bible says. And, and you come back from that, and of course, I, I need to set the, the story straight. It's not like every Christian in India is like that. There, there are nominal Christians in India, okay? There are villages that have a lot of churches in them. There are cities where, you know, there's, there's uh, enough happening spiritually that you would feel like you were in the U.S. to some degree, okay? Not it's not the same okay but at least there are more churches than you thought would have been there i mean there it's 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 really almost it's so difficult to explain and yet in certain parts of the country the persecution is outlandish and even the cities that we go to though it's safe it's safe largely because we're with the right people and they know how to train us and what to do and not do and and we abide by those rules. And so I I don't want you to get this feeling that every Christian in India is this phenomenal, powerful person, you know, and that uh, you you have to understand that, you know, people are the same everywhere. But percentage-wise, there's stuff happening over there that I read in the Bible, and I don't see it happening here, and that's true. And so I come back with that question, Lord, is it the Eastern mind versus the Western mind? Because you know, the Bible is written largely by Eastern minds. This, our Western thinking is, I got to see it before I believe it. And in the East, it's, I'll believe anything before I see it. And they've got, in India, you know, Hinduism is many gods, thousands of gods if you want there to be. I mean, you can choose and almost create your own god. So it's, but here in America, it's, if God doesn't show himself to me, I'm not going to believe in any God. In fact, I might as well be God. So, so that's how we see ourselves. We're in charge. And, and, uh, and a diff, completely different mindset. All right. That is true. And so I, I think about that, but I want to know, I want to know, Lord, what is the difference? And so I'm on this little quest, um, Uh, Let me give you a couple of stories just to show you what I'm talking about. One one man couldn't read. And so um, the newspaper's sitting here. He can't read his newspaper. But he's come to Christ and he's desperate. And he has a Bible. And as he's praying, he starts reading the scripture. Closes the Bible. He cannot read the newspaper. Opens his Bible, he can read the scripture. Now, see, the American mind says, that's awesome, hallelujah. I don't know if I really believe that or not. Now, I, I'm, one of the, I'm one of us, and I hear testimonies and stuff on television, and you hear these wild stories, and you, but you walk away from that going, yeah, I bet there's another age and they'll even say this to you. Bobby Gupta, you know, comes here. He, he said this to us. He said, he said, most as he's talking to the pastors in the U.S., he says most most of you don't even believe what I'm saying, but they're here at the conference, and we got to meet some of these people. There's a woman who, she got her Bible and she couldn't read either. She wanted to preach, so she just gathers people, you know, and she starts preaching the gospel to them, and she holds her Bible like this. Can you see what I'm doing? It's upside down. She has no clue. But she is preaching from the Bible, and she quotes the scripture that's on that page. Now, since then, both of these people have learned how to read. But this is is the story, and they say that for a long time she did this. She would quote scripture on that page as she was preaching. They finally taught her how to turn her Bible around. Okay, (laughs) And so they asked her, how, what happens? How do you, what is going on? She says, well, it's like a little tape recorder back here in my brain. And she says, I just, as I'm preaching the word, she says, uh, I hear in my head, I hear these, you know, these sentences, and I just repeat what I'm hearing. Acts chapter 12. I'm getting ahead of myself. Acts chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Peter, James, and John, the three closest to Jesus. These three guys knew each other before they met Jesus. In fact, they were fishermen together. Implication, they were even had a fishing business and And uh, James is killed. This is not James, the leader of the early Apostolic church council. That James is listed later on in this chapter. That's how we that's one reason we know there are two different leaders called James, and that it's not the same. And so um, uh, James is killed, and it says, and because he, Herod Saul, that it pleased the Jews to proceed. He he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened breads. Peter is the big dog. Peter is the head of the pack. This is the guy who is walking down the streets and they're laying the sick and his shadow cast on them is healing the sick. This is the guy who is raising the dead. Two chapters earlier, he raises um, Dorcas was her name. Tabitha was another translation of her name. He raises her from the dead in Joppa. This, this is the guy that Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. And there are, comp, there are implications to that wording there. And I, I get into that. As, in fact, I use that in some of my training and, and Peter's the man, he's the man. So let's go to the top. Let's go to the head guy. And let's pull this whole thing down. And so Herod uh, captures Peter. And Peter, you know, he's probably, I mean, he's still, he's carrying the weight of his friend, James, having been killed. And um, it says, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover, the Passover. Why four squads of soldiers? You know, it's a little bit of overkill for one man, but remember that at the uh, beginning of acts, the whole group of apostles were taken, arrested. And that night they just walked out. I mean, it was a miraculous thing. Um, They just walked out of prison. The next day they're preaching, teaching in the synagogue. When, uh, when they, when the chief priests realized that somehow they, escaped, even the prison guards didn't know they were gone. So, that, that kind of thing is already happening. Herod knows, I don't know how this guy escapes, but boy, you know, I'm going to put four squads around this guy, and he's not going to go anywhere. And uh, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, that's a sermon in and of itself, and that's really the answer to my question today. But Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to pre- bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains, because two soldiers, uh, bound with chains, I'm sorry, between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Now, a couple of things here. One is you'd wake up too if an angel slapped you in the middle of the night. But I want you to see this. Peter, his one of his best friends has been killed, and he's on the docket to be killed the next morning. And what does he do? He takes a nap. He says, "I think I'll get a good night's sleep." He's chained to prisoners, I mean to prison guards. He's sentenced to death the next day, and he goes to sleep. Now, mind you, this is the Peter who was in the boat early on when he knew nothing, and the storm is raging, and they are going to die, and Jesus is in the boat asleep. Whereas in that day, they did not understand him saying, oh, ye of little faith. We've got a different man. here." So Peter does what you do when you're going to die the next day. You go to sleep. And the angel wakes him up. Then the angel said to him, put your clothes on. (laughs) Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he, he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out, followed him, did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Two chapters ago, Peter saw a vision. And the sheep came down out of heaven and covered the earth. And, and he saw animals and told to kill and eat. You know the stories. Really, that was a vision that where God was, Jesus, was challenging Peter to overcome his religious tradition because he had uh, a prejudice against the Gentiles. And God had called him to go to every person and for this to cover the earth. And he had a hang up, as did the other apostles. And so he was challenging Peter to come up out of that and to start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. So now Peter is kind of open to the vision. You know, it's like, okay, I'm getting another vision here. And I don't know why this is happening, but boy, it seems real, but it's probably not, all right? And then he says, when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. It's like being in a a, a horror flick or something, you know, the, the, the iron gates just open up in front of him, and which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out, and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This, this is, uh, he came to a place where he'd been many times. Um, uh, Mark, this is John Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Probably, most likely, because they were very close. This is where Mark got his information. That was firsthand information from Peter to be able to write that gospel. And it says uh, that as Peter knocked at the door, um, it says, uh, the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is an angel. Now realize that the girl has not seen Peter, but she recognizes his voice. He—he. This is a place that he frequents, maybe even stays there. And so she recognized his voice. But like us, it was just hard to believe. See that? It's just hard to believe that Peter would be standing outside that gate. And um, so Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning for them with his hand to keep silent. You know, this is not like the homes we live in. There, everybody is close by. It's, it's very similar. To be honest with you, In India, you are much closer to what this was like, the way they lived in the Bible. Not the same, but much closer. And you can understand some of this when you read it, uh, that the whole neighborhood could have heard them in their commotion. And he said, it says uh, that he motioned for them, keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, go tell these things to James, to the brothers. See, this is the other James who is leading the apostolic team. He's actually the brother of Jesus, okay? You know, one of the bad boys who after the resurrection, you know, got it, and he's now leading the church um, from from leading the apostles, the the apostolic council, and says, um, um, tell these things to James and to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. The rest of the story... Is that those guards lost their lives over this? And uh, Herod actually went; he skipped town. I guess he couldn't he couldn't face the Jews after telling them he was going to deliver Peter. Skipped town, went to another town where they were afraid of Herod and started worshiping him like a god. and And he accepted that worship. And the angel of God came down and struck him with a, uh, uh, worms, and he died. Okay, so if I were you, I wouldn't. Proclaim yourself God. It is not a good idea, right? and so, so, um, uh, you know, th- this is much like us. Very hard for us to believe a story like this. It's, it we, in fact, we have seminaries now that are dedicated to discrediting the the miraculous side of these stories. We we have seminaries. They they now they figured out how that could have happened, or this could have happened, or how the Red Sea could have been parted. You know all of this because it's just so hard for us to believe that God really will show up and do phenomenal, miraculous things, and uh, and maybe that is part of the reason that we don't see it. You you get that that a lot of this is not God. We call it divine intervention. It, it's not just God divinely intervening. It is the faith of God's people accepting. What he wants to do that. That's much of how it actually happens. And so when we get into the mode of, and do I really have to believe that we're really setting ourselves up to never see it because we've decided to embrace unbelief. I want you to forgive me this morning. You'll hear me pause. It's because I've been using translators for three and a half weeks, four and five hours a day. So I will pause And I don't hear my translator. I have to go back to preaching. So, so uh, Peter is um, what I want you to see here about Peter. It's really healthy for us to understand that Peter is two different people. He is the Peter of Acts, where he is walking in ways that hardly any man has ever matched. And then there's the Peter that Jesus first called upon, who was a cussing fisherman, who was uneducated, who had no leadership call on his life who knew nothing about anything, and God, on purpose, chose men like that. People that we would look at and think, what's so special about that? We would look at and in a social setting would not even be attracted to. That's the kind of person that Jesus chose to be his disciples, and Peter at first you know the call in the first encounter the the pastor's training that I did was a the series I've actually taught here and it's the fourteen encounters personal encounters that Jesus has with Peter, but I gave it in a way that showed how Jesus makes a leader and so Jesus is taking Peter through a leadership course that is just beyond understanding, but it's how he leads our lives. And Jesus didn't come to Peter and say, I'm going to make you a great apostle someday. First encounter first words out of Jesus mouth. You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be Cephas the rock. Another name for Peter. And, This this is the way, this is what Jesus does. He doesn't just come out with the plan. To begin with, he just comes along and says, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I know what's in your mind, your heart. I know everything's going on in your life. But you need to realize that I see something else when I look. I see the person that my father thought of before you were even conceived. I see the person that, that, that we have vision for. In heaven, we have vision for your life. And that's who I see. The person that you were created to be, to fulfill and walk in, that's who I see when I look at you. Now that's, we talk about the grace of God but Jesus doesn't just look at us and say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. He looks it up and says, you are more than this. I'm going to be with you through this thing. I'm going to help you through it because I'm calling you to something higher. I've been blessed this morning with a, a set uh, from Vacation Bible School team and Sarah Grice and the children's department. And uh, they didn't know that they were building me a set this morning. They thought it was, was for VBS. But this is Mount Everest, and this the whole lesson this week is based on Mount Everest. Mount Everest, of course, is the tallest mountain in the world. We know where that is now because the earthquakes in Nepal affected actually changed the height of this mountain. Did you know that? It is a few feet less tall now because of that earthquake and And Nepal is right on top of India and all of these pastors are from India, except for one group, they have a center in India right at the Nepal border, and they feed that group of pastors and teach them how to reach Nepal. Those pastors were at the conference. I had the privilege of meeting these pastors. These are the people that we sent goods to. They actually we, we sent about 1,000 dollars, and they took relief effort up to Nepal. And they were able to get way back into the villages where nobody else could go because of these pastors. And they were able to bring uh, uh, relief. You gave that money. I even met the team who went up from Chennai. So uh, this is real. You know, it's kind of neat when you can actually see it, you know, who's involved. And, um, but this mountain is much like our lives. See, here's what our lives are like. Here's what we see when we see our lives, we're climbing mountains, we have goals and dreams and visions, and we're trying to get to the top of our little mountain. And so we're working hard and we're trying to be that thing. And that's what we have our eyes on. When, when Jesus sees us, this is what he sees. When he looks at us, this is what he sees. And, and you see, <laughs> uh um, I get discouraged. I get, you know, we, we go through things and and Jesus comes along and says, hey, this is what I'm at. Now, here's, here's here, let me give you a little key here quickly. Peter, when Peter was on the water, walking on water, he, he was not looking in the mirror saying, I'm great, I'm good, I can do this thing. He had to keep his eyes on Jesus to walk on that water. When, when Jesus was standing in the boat... And so this is early on. He's already, he's already been in a boat with Jesus when he was asleep. Jesus was asleep, stood up and calmed the storm and said, Oh, ye of little faith. Earlier that day, in fact, before he walked on water, uh, earlier that day they're with the 5,000 being fed, and Jesus turned to them first and said, You give them something. Every time Jesus is with his disciples, before he will perform a miracle, while he's involved in this, he will turn to them and say, You should be doing this. They, they, never, they didn't get that for a while. Peter is on the boat. The disciples are afraid. And Peter sees Jesus coming. Now, Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of a storm. They think he's a ghost. The Bible says in one of the Gospels that he's going to walk on by. Why do you walk out on the water to the boat that's sinking? And you walk on by. Peter's asking himself that question. Jesus didn't come on the water and say, hey, Peter, you want to walk on water? He didn't come over here and say, hey, Peter, I challenge you to walk on water. Anybody want to walk on water? This is not how God works. Go read the Bible and stop and think about it. Jesus actually, it's almost like a teaser. It's almost like him doing something and waiting for you to develop the desire to be involved. See this? He's with you. He comes to you in the storm. He's not, you know, he's there, but he's waiting for you to align your heart to the thing he's after. He's not just after calming the storm. That's a byproduct. Peter's standing there going, why are you walking by the boat? Why are you walking by the boat? Why aren't you stopping? Why aren't you doing that? I saw you do this over here. I saw you do that over here. You're after something else. What are you after? Lord, if that's you out there, command me to come out there with you. Was not Jesus' idea, but it was. This is the way Jesus led. And then Jesus is standing there. And Jesus says one word. Come. See, what Jesus is after is not just the calming of the storm. That's what we're after. If He will just calm my storm, I'll say, Hallelujah, what an awesome thing. God save me in this thing! Glory to God. That's not what he's after ultimately. He delivers. He sets us free. He meets the need. But Jesus is after something deeper. When, G- when Peter was... Uh, just getting started, not even following Jesus 24-7. He's been with him for the miracle at the wedding feast, but they came back home. He's still in his fishing business. And Jesus says, launch your boat out into the deep. He says, we didn't catch anything. We've been here all night and haven't caught anything." No, 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 Peter, you didn't hear me. You've been in the shallow water. You've been where it's safe. Launch out goes out into the deep. We talk about the deep things of God. And we think, if I were more spiritual, if I would pray more, and that is true. But how do we get to that place? Because do you find yourself praying for just because you thought I should pray more? The, re- the reason Peter prayed more is because he kept walking out into the deep. Do you know why? Do you know how this mountain can be so tall? Because see, this is your call to your life, if I don't break it before the DBS. This is your life in your mind. But this is what he's called us to. Much greater. But the thing that makes that achievable is what's down here underneath. When you go into the deep, see, that's when this is possible. And so Peter... Standing on that boat, realized what Jesus, now he's real serious about launching out into the deep. I'm going to walk on water. This is serious. He didn't walk on water because it saved anybody. He's putting his own life at risk. He didn't walk on water because, you know, uh, that would somehow change the world. He walked on water because it was the deep. It was a challenge that was beyond his capability. That's what it was. Let me close with this. So they've un- they've understood me now. It's a little scary at HBI. You know, this is my fourth trip. But at the second trip, I said to them, mm, any chance of ever going up there? I talked this group from Andhra Pradesh at the at HBI Bible School campus in Chennai, large city safe. And uh, I fell in love with them. And I said to Bobby, I said, any chance I could ever go where they live? And so the next year they put me on a train. That was last year. And this year, see, they're getting it now. They get it. I want to be a real missionary. <laughs> you know, this is... This is, I don't, I don't understand it. There's just something inside of me that says there's more out there. Let's, let's go find it. And so, so this time they not only sent me up to this community where they never see a white person and they, uh, actually, I, you know, they send pastors to me at the center to train them this time. And we walked through the village. Uh, a lady sees this director and knows where he's coming from. She's Hindu, and she says, please come in and pray for my husband because he's on dialysis. We go to drop-in centers where children are, and I see literally, literally a swarm of mosquitoes around us. This, this, this is different. This is totally different. So one day they said, all right, we're going to a church. You're going to preach. okay? It's at 8 o'clock at night. Well, it's a little ways out it may take 20 minutes or so to get there so about 45 minutes later we are in the middle of nowhere we have gone to the end of the world and have turned left and have gone 10 more miles I mean it is it is really desolate out there nothing except for stuff and there are like coconut trees and, stuff. and so I said to them I said are we in a jungle I mean I want to see an elephant or a tiger all right and they laugh at me you know and I <laughs> I said, "No, we're not in the jungle." And then some monkeys come across the road. You know, yes, I'm gonna tell everybody I was in the jungle. So um, we (laughs) we finally get to this church, and and it's late at night, and the lights are on, but nobody's there. And it's time for the service to begin, and so they have these chairs sitting outside of the church, and they made us sit there. And the pastor hardly says a word, goes inside. And, uh, and he gets his microphone, and they start singing. There's nobody in there but he and the worship leader and one other person. And they're singing away, and, and they're calling out. Here's the weird part of it is that what they call a horn is actually a loudspeaker on top of the building. It's 8 o'clock at night. They are the whole community just like that. It is so loud you would not even, we cannot hear each other next to one another. It is just blaring, and he is going to town about this preacher who's here from America and all this stuff. And you realize that when we go, they, want, they don't want us to be public because they, they don't want us to get in trouble. They don't want us to end up in jail or being killed or something like that. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking, this, this is not normal. You know, This guy did not get the note. And so he's doing this, and people start coming, and they fill up that building. And so I go in there, and we're worshiping the last song. And, um, and they said, uh, I, I turned to my translator, and I said, is my sermon going to be heard throughout the whole village? And he said, mm-hmm. I said, I don't think HBI knows about this. I think I'm going to preach anyway. <laughs> so I couldn't believe this opportunity. So I get up and just preach my and afterwards, there was no altar call, but everybody came forward for prayer. We were there to the wee hours, praying for people individually. And I have no clue, you know, as to what's happening. They're trying to get me to go because they're afraid. They're actually afraid that we might get attacked in this city. Because I'm white, that implies that a white person here from America probably has money. And so and uh, they're driving a car into the place, which is unusual. And So... Um, but, but I just, we couldn't leave. I mean, this was too tender. And I'm, I'm not around that many. I'm, I'm around people who don't know the Lord, but I'm with pastors mostly, training them. So I don't get any opportunity. They really don't want me to convert, to actually lead. let them do that because they, they don't want us to get in trouble. So let them follow up and know how to do that. But in this case, a young man is standing before me and the translator looks at me and says, he's not a believer. I said, what? He's not a He's trying to tell me. I, I'm trying to get it. And finally I said, you mean he's not a Christian? He said, no, he's not. So it's, there are a lot of wonderful things I experienced while I there. This is the one that was the most fruit. I'm, there's a lot of fruit in training pastors, and they go out and win the world. But when you're standing before a young man who says he's not a believer, what a wonderful opportunity. And so I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. I'm not sure how to answer the question. But I believe that there is a kingdom of God thing that is no different here same kingdom of God. These people in India who are Christians are just like us. They're fun, they're loving, they're forgiving. It's a blast to be around them. But They're under a kind of pressure that forces the issue. And so they have stepped to the plate. That thing that he's calling us to is much greater than what we have embraced. And so cause us to go deeper so that we can go higher. Let's do that this morning. Let's stand.